All right, thank y'all. If you've got your Bibles open up to Colossians chapter 1, it be verses 15 through 20. All right, Colossians 1, we're going to be in verses 15 through 20. And we're going to start off this morning with just a little bit of vocabulary. Uh, because one of the words that kind of drives what we're looking at this morning is not a word that we typically use all the time. And that is the word preeminent. Uh, in fact, this morning it's all about Jesus being preeminent. So if we're going to talk about Jesus pre- being preeminent. What does preeminence mean? Preeminent simply means surpassing all others. What that means is preeminent. If something is preeminent, that it means that it is greater than everything else, especially in its, in its, in its category. So we're talking about fast food. We would say Chick-fil-A is preeminent. It is greater than any other Chick-fil-A or any other uh, fast food. Um, Whatever it is that you like the most, you could say it is preeminent, that it surpasses all others. So this morning, we are looking at the idea of Jesus being preeminent, of Jesus surpassing everything else, Not just compared to other religions or anything like that, but we're going to see in the argument that Paul lays out that Jesus surpasses everything in our life, that He is greater, that He is the greatest. But because of that, He deserves preeminence. He deserves to be first place. He deserves to be seen as the greatest, as the biggest, as the most important, as the most valuable, as the, the most awesome thing in all of our lives. Now, If you remember two weeks ago when we first looked at the book of Colossians, we said that Epaphras, who had started this church, has gone to find Paul, who was in jail in Rome. And one of the reasons was because there was false teaching that was kind of spreading in the region. And Epaphras went to Paul to say, how do I handle this false teaching? Now, we said that we don't know the exact false teaching that was heading or spreading around. But we do know, just by the context clues of this letter that Paul wrote, some of the things that were spreading, that were being addressed. And one of the things was who Jesus is. What makes Jesus, Jesus? Because in this moment, there were different false religions spreading around that said Jesus was not really God, or that Jesus was not really a man, that he was just a spirit, or that Jesus was uh, created by God, so that he's kind of like the angels. All this different stuff about Jesus. In fact, there's still denominations, there's still religious groups today to believe some of that same stuff. So Paul writes, and he lays all of this out to say, let me tell you how great Jesus is. If you remember last week, we looked at, or really the last two weeks, kind of, that kind of ran together, but Paul's saying, I'm praying for you as a church, as new believers, and this is what I'm praying for you. And the core of his prayer was that they would grow in their knowledge of God. And we've talked about a lot here that our faith increases as our understanding, as our vision, as our knowledge of God increases. That our faith does not get stronger by us just quote-unquote believing harder, but our faith increases, our faith grows, our faith strengthens as our understanding of the object of our faith, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, as it grows and expands. So Paul is writing this to confront this false teaching. Now, the core of all false teaching, of all heretical teaching that we would say is wrong, it is evil, it is bad, it is dangerous, 
is about, it goes against who God is, who Jesus is, and what Jesus Christ came to do with the gospel. Any teaching, any religious group that goes a different direction than what the Bible does on those three things, who God is, who Jesus is, and the gospel, we would call them heretical. We would say that we don't need to have anything to do with them. So that's what Paul writes about in this passage. So let's read the passage. Colossians 1, 15-20, then we'll pray, and then we'll make our way back through the passage. It says this, He, talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for Jesus, that what, what he did for us on the cross. Father God, I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, God, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to just greater understand who Jesus is and why he deserves to be preeminent in our lives. Father God, speak through your word and your Holy Spirit louder than my voice ever could. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So the majority of this passage is sandwiched between two main points that Paul makes in verse 15, that Paul makes in verses 18 and 19. And these two points kind of sandwich everything else in between them. The first point is this. Jesus is God. Look at verse 15, then we're going to look at verse 19. So verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. Now drop to verse 19. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now in these two verses, Paul is making the same point. He is the image of the invisible God, and in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this is kind of the end caps of this section. They kind of set up bookends. They kind of hold everything else together. And this bookend is that Jesus is God. Jesus is not just a great moral teacher like Islam says. Jesus is not just like the angels, like like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, the first created thing. Jesus is God. The Bible teaches, and we've talked this before, the Bible teaches of the Trinity, that we serve one God and three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, from our perspective, yes, that is difficult to grasp, but that's what the Bible presents as it shows us who God is. That the Father sent the Son, the Son died, the Spirit draws us to the Son. And that's how God works for salvation, this this unified, triune God. And so as we look at Jesus, as Jesus came to earth, as Jesus put on human flesh, Paul is making this point to this church, and it's kind of uh, the bookends of his whole argument that he's talking about here, the preeminence of Jesus, why Jesus surpasses all things. He surpasses all things because He is God. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a, a priest. He is God. And this is the claim that Jesus made about Himself. 
In John chapter 10, verse 30, while he was teaching, he said, I and the Father are one. He ties them together in unity. He ties them together saying that they are equal, that Jesus the Son is equal with God the Father. In John 8, 58, he was, he was teaching and the, the Pharisees and some of the Jews were arguing with him and they were saying, how are you to say that you are greater than Abraham, our father? You're not as old as Abraham. And his response to them was, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now what's significant about that? If you remember when Moses goes to the burning bush or he sees that bush burning, uh, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And God begins to speak to Moses to tell him to go to Egypt, to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Moses says, who shall I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. And it's a name that God presents himself, that he is God, that he is, uh, uh, that he is, that he is eternal, that he is existing, that he is powerful. So as Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he's making that exact same statement, I am. Am God. Our Savior is not just some man who happened to die on the cross and sacrifice his life for other people. If he was just a man, then his death means nothing. Because it can do nothing for us. And we'll get this as we get to our last point a little bit deeper. But Jesus is God. And one of the foundational points of our theology, of our doctrine, of our understanding of who God is and of who Jesus is, is that Jesus is God, equal with the Father, who came, who put on human flesh to love us enough to die on the cross for us. He was not quasi-God or half-God or half-man, half-God. He was 100% man who struggles as we struggle, yet 100% God who could read hearts, read minds, walk on water, raise the dead, heal the sick, heal the lame, and do whatever he wanted to do while he was here on earth. So Paul kind of bookends with one truth is that Jesus is God. The next truth that he kind of bookends with is that Jesus has the position to be preeminent in creation and our lives. So look at verse 15, the second part of the verse, and then we'll look at verse 18. So verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now we'll get to what this firstborn of all creation means in a second. But jump down to verse 18. In verse 18, he says, um, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, right here. He is the beginning, the firstborn, once again, that same word, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So we've seen kind of uh, the, the kind of book in of the fullness of God existed in him, that he is the exact image, image or representation or manifestation of God. And then he kind of brings it in and he says that he is the firstborn of creation and the firstborn of the dead. So what does that mean? So if we're saying that Jesus is... Um, God, how can He also be firstborn? Because we know that God is eternal. That means God has no beginning point. When He says firstborn right here, that word does not refer to uh, first created. Like Abigail is our firstborn, the first created between me and Jessica. That's not what He's referring to. The firstborn here in this time, the firstborn had a superior rank, had a superior position, was kind of the greatest heir in the family. So as Paul calls Jesus the firstborn of creation, he says that his position, his rank in all of creation, 
creation is first. In fact, he can't, it can't mean first created because later on uh, in this passage, he even says that all things have been created through him and for him. So if he's the first of creation, then, then how did he create himself? So it really doesn't make sense. And so also, the Bible is clear to us that Jesus has always been uh, eternal, that he has no beginning point, that, that he was uh, with God and was God. In John 1.1, it says this, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now in that passage, the Word there is referring to Jesus. It says the Word was God and was with God. Jesus is not the first created thing. Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, this is one of the foundational truths of their religion, is that Jesus is kind of, uh, uh, he's a little bit greater than the angels, but he's not God. God made Jesus, and then Jesus made everything else. That's what they believe. And they've got to add to Scripture and twist Scripture to get there, but that's one of their core beliefs. And so we deny that, and we, we, we do not partner with them because we argue or we, we believe completely different. Jesus is not the first created thing. Jesus is, once again with God, Jesus has always been and always will be. So as Paul makes this argument, or he makes this statement about Jesus being the firstborn, what this means is not that he is the first created thing. Jesus has no creation point. What this means is Jesus has the position and the rank of one who is in charge. He has the position and the rank of one who surpasses all things. That there is no one because Jesus is equal with the Father. Because Jesus is equal with the Holy Spirit. Because they are one God and three distinct persons. Jesus is superior and greater and has the position to rule and to reign and he has the rank far above anything else. So in these really two statements that kind of uh, book in this passage, Paul is just making the argument that just by who he is, being God, just by his, his rank and position in creation, that he has made all things, that he is greater than all things, that simply by who he is, Jesus surpasses all other things, that he is preeminent, that he is first, that he is the greatest. And so if there is one that we are to trust for our salvation, if there's one that we are to trust with our hope, if there's one that we are to trust with our life, it is the one who is greater than all things, the one who is bigger than all things, and the one who created and made all things, the one who has the position and rank above all things. So if Paul bookends this passage with the truth of who Jesus is, he then goes in to give us areas of how Jesus' preeminence impacts our lives and our beliefs. Look at verse 16 and 17. We see this. That Jesus is preeminent over all of creation, both seen and unseen. Verse 16 and 17 say this. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Two points that Paul is making here. When he talks about all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, 
First is, Jesus is preeminent over kings, over leaders, over governments, over presidents. Jesus is greater. Jesus is bigger. Jesus is stronger and more important. What this means for us. One is the Bible tells us to to submit to the authorities as long as they don't command us to go outside of God's uh, word, outside of God's rule. So we submit to the authorities that are over us uh, because that honors God. But two, it strengthens our faith because it reminds us no matter what other nations do, no matter what wars others might want to start, no matter what laws or rules Congress passes, no matter who our president is, Jesus is still in control. Jesus is still preeminent. Jesus still surpasses all of them. Jesus is still greater. Jesus is still more important. Jesus is still more powerful. There is nothing that can usurp God's power. Nothing that can take away His influence. Nothing that can that can stall or interfere in his plans. God is first. He is in control. And so as we look at our worlds, we look at nations, as we look at kingdoms, as we look at presidents, as we look at elections, we remember that Jesus is in control of all of this stuff. And yes, we should have our part to play, but we don't have to worry about who the president is. We don't have to be fearful about who, what party has control over Congress. We have to just trust in Jesus. And remember that this life is temporary and no matter what else happens in our world and our government, that our God is always in control. But not only is he talking about the things that are visible or the things that are seen, but he also says the invisible. When he talks about this, what he is talking about is kind of the spiritual realm around us that we cannot see. Now, the Bible is clear that there are things going on around us, that there are angels, that there are fallen angels or demons, that there is Satan, that he is uh, an enemy uh, roaming around like a a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour, that, that we do have an enemy that is real and that exists. Now, we don't talk a lot about that here, and here's why. The Bible tells us in here, if you want to read more, in Hebrews kind of talk follows a lot of the same uh, ideas. We're not commanded to worship angels. In fact, whenever you see an angel show up on the scene in the Bible, um, if the, the people who see the angel, they typically fall down before it uh, because it's kind of this, this magnificent, magnificent picture and they're kind of in awe and a little scared. And the angel always says, oh, don't bow to me. You don't have to bow to me. We, we both bow to God. We're not commanded to worship angels. We're not commanded to be enamored by angels. We are commanded to be enamored by Jesus Christ. Angels proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ. Whenever we get a picture of heaven, the throne is surrounded with angels doing nothing but 24-7 for all of eternity, proclaiming the greatness of our God. We're not called to worship angels. So we don't talk a lot about angels because angels are uh, simply the, the messengers and the worshipers of God, just as we are. Also, he's talking about fallen angels. Now, our world, especially Hollywood, is captivated with the idea of fallen angels or demons. Just about every single horror movie that you've ever seen or ever will see centers around some kind of demon that inhabits somebody or or, or possesses somebody or does something weird like that. And while demons, yes, they exist, we do not have to fear them or be worried about them. Why? Because Jesus is preeminent. 
If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then we don't have to fear demons. We don't have to worry about that because we trust that God is in control. And we don't conquer that stuff by, uh, by focusing on it. We find victory over sin and over anything else by focusing on Jesus. By focusing on the one who is preeminent by focusing on the one who is in control and who has power. So we don't talk a lot about that. We talk about it when the Bible does, but because that is not our focus. Our focus is not to go around and casting out demons. Our focus is not to go around and and drawing uh, crucifixes on people's head and trying to uh, do seances. That's not our goal. That's not our focus. That's not what we've been commanded to do. What we've been commanded to do is trust in the name of Jesus and proclaim the gospel and allow God to work in people's lives. So we don't talk a lot about that because that's not what we're here for. We're here for Jesus. And we're here to love Him and to make Him known. And so He's preeminent over all of creation, both seen and unseen. So that refers to the authorities. But one more thing that it kind of impacts, He says all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all, him, all things, and in Him all things hold together. Not only is Jesus greater than authorities in our lives, seen and unseen, but here Paul tells us that all things were created through Him, which means He created all things. John chapter 1 tells us the exact same thing, that, that all things, that, that Jesus was there at creation, that Jesus has made all things. But also tells us all things were made through Him. And why? For Him. Jesus defines the purpose of humanity. The purpose of our lives is to know God, and we know God through Jesus Christ, through what He did for us on the cross, and to make Him known, to tell other people about the greatness of our God and the greatness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of our life, is to know God and make Him known. We are created for Him. And Jesus helps shape. Jesus defines our purpose. One of the reasons why evangelism, that taking the gospel out, missions is so important is because those who do not yet know Jesus are living their lives trying to fulfill their purpose, trying to fill their lives with things that can never, that can never fill them, that can never fill that gap, that can never fill that hole, that can never uh, fulfill that wanting and that needing and that emptiness that is there. Nothing except for Jesus, because we are created through Him and for Him. He defines our purpose. He defines what satisfies. He defines what fulfills. And when people look for things to fill their lives other than Christ, it creates not just idolatry in their hearts and in their lives, but it can create, even like lead to things like addiction. People turn to substances because either life does not fulfill and they are hurt or because they are looking for something to fulfill them, to fulfill that longing, to fulfill that need. When Jesus is the only one that can. Because we are created for Him. We are created with the purpose of knowing Him and loving Him. So we take the gospel out. We share it with other people because we all desperately need Jesus. Because anything else that we try to fill our life with comes up infinitely short all of the time. 
no matter how much I love my family, no matter how much I might love sports, no matter how much I might love uh, uh, drawing, no matter how much I might love going to the gym, no matter how much I might love these really good things, they cannot fulfill me. They cannot satisfy me. They cannot complete me the way that only Jesus Christ can. And so all things were created through Him and for Him. It says that He sustains all things and holds them together. Or He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus is the one who sustains our lives, that keeps our lives together. No matter what is happening outside or even inside our life, it is Jesus that that gives us the strength and the ability. He is that... um, that house built on the, on the firm foundation that he talks about at the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. you got the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. The house built on the sand crumbles. The house built on the rock stands. That rock is Jesus and the things that he has taught us. So as we follow him, as we trust him, he sustains, he completes, he holds our life together. Next in verse 18, we see that Jesus is preeminent in the church. Excuse me, preeminent in the church. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I am not the head of this church. The Southern Baptist Convention is not the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. What that means is me as pastor, our deacons, you as the church, as we make decisions, as we pray, as we look at the things that we should do, how we should spend our money, how we spend our time, how we use our building and the resources that God has given us. We do all that we do to glorify and honor Jesus, that he surpasses all things. So therefore, in this church, everything we do is about Jesus. How do we love other people in the name of Jesus? How do we share the gospel and the greatness of Jesus? How do we teach people about who Jesus is and what it means to love Him and follow Him and walk with Him? Everything that we should do as a church, as a body, as a group of believers who have gathered together to worship and partner together in the name of Jesus Christ, everything that we do should center around who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do for us. He is the head of the church. So if there's anything that we do that does not somehow point people to Jesus. Look, even us doing the, um, the trunk or treat the other night, it was a way for us to show our community that we love them. It was a way for us to show our community that, look, here's a practical way that we're going to love you by, by just loving on your kids and giving them candy. We did that in the name of Jesus. We did that. Uh, we gave out information on our church. People came into our church who have probably never been here and were loved and were welcomed. That makes an impact. We made an impact in over a thousand people's lives that night. About 400 kids, a thousand when you take kids and adults together. God worked and God moved. And that was one way for us to just declare to the community that, hey, we as a church, we love you because Jesus loves you. So everything that we do with Jesus Christ should be the head. It moves us to loving our neighbors in the name of Jesus with the love of Jesus. That Jesus, if nowhere else, should be preeminent in the church. And a church that does not have Jesus as preeminent is not really a church because Jesus is to be first. And then we'll close with verse 20. He says this, 
or the point that we see is that his preeminence is what makes redemption possible. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If Jesus is not God, if Jesus does not have the position that he has, then his death on the cross is meaningless. And here's why. We've talked about this, but here's why. Sin is sin. Sin is so destructive. Sin is so wrong. Sin carries the price with it that it does because sin is not just us breaking some random law written by some random person. Sin is us going against the very character and nature of God. Remember, the Bible declares to us that God is righteous. Because God is righteous, God defines in His very nature everything that is right. Everything that is wrong are things that go against the very nature of God. So sin is not just us breaking some random law that some random person decided to write down. Sin is us going against the very nature of who God is. Because of that, Sin carries with it a price because we have broken or gone against the very nature of God. And it comes with an eternal price because the God whose heart we have broken, the God whose whose righteousness we have crossed, is eternal. So the cost that comes with it is as great as the one that it offends. Because God is infinite, because God is powerful, because God is eternal, the punishment that comes along with wronging Him is the exact same thing. Is it powerful and it lasts and it has a great, incredible weight that honestly, that's why hell is eternal because we can never in our finite beings pay that penalty. That's why we say hell. Those who spend eternity in hell spend eternity in hell. There is no stopping point. There is no ending point for that penalty to be paid, for that price to be paid, the only one who could pay the eternal cost that sin brings is God Himself. So God chose to love us, and He put on human flesh, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, steps out of heaven to live on this world to die for you and me. He was man because only man could pay for man's sin, yet He was God because only God was holy enough and perfect enough and powerful enough and righteous enough to satisfy God's wrath for sin. Only He could pay the penalty for our sins. Paul bookends this passage with Jesus being God and the position that he holds because without Jesus being God, without Jesus being the greatest and preeminent in all of creation, then the cross has no power. If Jesus was not God, if Jesus was not God made flesh, if Jesus was not the fullness of God that pleased to dwell in Him, if He was not the image of the invisible God, and if He was not God who died for His own creation, then the cross has no power. But because He was, then He can perfectly satisfy the desire of the cross. He can perfectly uh, uh, um, satisfy God's wrath towards our sin. He could perfectly, perfectly take our punishment upon Himself so that we could have life, so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could be adopted into God 
God's family so that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If Jesus was anything less than God, then the cross, our salvation, our hope has nothing. It is weak, it is powerless, and it does not save. But because Jesus is God, He died for us in a way that only He could to pay a penalty that we have earned, but we can never satisfy, to pay a price that we can never pay back so that we might have forgiveness of our sins, so that we might have life. It is so important for us to know who Jesus is and trust who Jesus is because everything else that we believe in our faith about salvation, about everything, centers around who Jesus is. And Jesus is preeminent because He is God and because He ranks position-wise over everything else in all of creation. If you're in here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... God loved you enough that He stepped down out of heaven to die for you so that you might have life. And there's no other way for you to have forgiveness of your sins, for you to have eternity apart from Jesus. I would beg you to examine your hearts, examine what it is that's keeping you from doing that, and and, and turn to Jesus and cry out to Him and say, I need you. I need you to forgive me my sins. I need you to save me. Because apart from Jesus, we have to pay back that penalty. We have to pay that price that we have earned for our sin. And that is a price that we paid for eternity. The only way for salvation, the only way for the forgiveness of sins is through Jesus. If you are a Christian in this room, my challenge for us is that you would examine your heart, that I would examine my heart and ask, is Jesus preeminent in my life? Does he surpass all things? Do I love him? Do I value him? Do I desire him before everything else? Does he shape my life or do I allow all these other things to shape my life and Jesus is just a part of it? Is he the part of it or is he the one that encompasses all other things and defines everything else in my life? The goal for us is to see Jesus as preeminent and to live as though Jesus is preeminent.